Hello, and Merry Christmas! Look, I know this year has been nothing but bullshit. And I know that bullshit has made the holidays truly suck for a lot of people. So many families have tried to endure what's supposed to be the happiest time of year while missing jobs, homes, or even loved ones. And as a family man, it makes my stomach squirm just imagining that reality. For anyone listening who has had important economic or familial lifelines taken from them this year, everyone here on the podcast shares their deepest condolences, and we hope you find the light you deserve at the end of all this. And to everyone listening who has been fortunate enough to still have largely a normal life, please... Don't take it for granted. Enjoy your holidays, enjoy your family, enjoy your health, and let those closest to you know how much they mean to you. Okay, okay, now for today's episode. It's the series finale! After 128 episodes of Tuesday Gaming, 14 episodes of Sweet Side Action, and one episode of Meanwhile, here we are at the final hour and change of Swiss Army Scorpion's Tuesday Gaming Podcast. It still doesn't feel real for me. We've been on the air for just over two and a half years now, with episode one dropping on May 17th, 2018. And woof, were those early episodes rough. We've come a long way, though, improving ourselves, our equipment, and our Tom, determined to earn your love with our hijinks. So, what's next for the podcast? Well, unless you've been living under a rock for the past two months, you would know that we've been building up for our big makeover. With a new name, new logo, new campaign, the works, to start in just one week. Uh, And damn it, no one was more excited to start Tyrant's Grasp than us, but COVID, man. Our favorite pirate lord and head editor, Matt, got sick the week we were going to start, through no fault of his own. He's been slowly recovering, but there was no way we were going to start the new campaign without him. Sometimes, the schedule you plan out just doesn't work. And in our case, that schedule included a promise to everyone listening. And today, I have to announce that we're not going to be able to deliver on that promise. It sucks, but Tyrant's Grasp is still going to happen, just not quite as soon as advertised. And as soon as we know the new date of the premiere, we will tell everyone. And we couldn't just do nothing in the meantime. This is the year of adaptation, everyone, and we will not let a small bump like a deadly disease slow us down. Today's episode is the final episode of Swiss Army Scorpion. Everything we make from here will be under our new name, Inspired Incompetence, including the content we'll be making while we wait for our favorite Scald to recover. What will that content be? Well, stay tuned and find out. We're still going to have fun, and our content will remain Pathfinder-based. I know this wasn't the announcement you were hoping for, but please be patient. Our new campaign will be worth the wait, I promise. Back to the present, though. 
let's not let all this overshadow the monumental event that is our series finale. Fuck you, 2020. If I can't stop Devoth and his merry gang of cheaters, what chance did you think you had? Take a deep breath and prepare to dive headfirst into the exciting conclusion of our Skull and Shackles playthrough. This is episode 129, Into the Great Blue Yonder. Devoth, enlarged and aflight with magic, skims across the main deck of the filthy Lucher, his axe trailing behind him, gripped tightly in his large, muscular hand. With himself and his crew dripping blood from their wounds, he takes a desperate swing at thin air, where Owlbear had last indicated contained the invisible Hurricane King. Contact! Blood spills onto the deck, trailing viscera and organs, and Kurdak Bonefist appears at the end of Devoth's blade, tumbling limply onto the deck. It's over. Then, the camera zooms past Devoth, past the gangplank and docks, and stops at the door to the Hurricane King's hidden retreat, where Sadak Goldtooth is about to kick the door open. Some. Body once told me the shackles surf will roll me. I can't hope to set off your composure. He was looking kind of smug, bragging about how he killed Plug with a bird made of gears on his shoulder. Well, hey now, Freedom Captain, get your raid on, get paid hey now lord of island get your claim on get laid well all that swag don't mean shit fly on over here and suck my dick and all that swag don't mean shit fly on over here and suck my dick welcome back this is the series finale of Tuesday Gaming. We are, for the last time, Swiss Army Scorpion. How's everybody doing? Are we sure that's how we want to start the last episode? <laughs> Dude, I am dead positive that's how we want to start it. That was so mega tight. Uh, that better be on iTunes. If my efforts aren't appreciated, then I guess we can start normally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So, Sadak Goldtooth has uh, kicked open the door to the Hurricane King's house, and he basically declared that with the death of Kurdak Bonefist, uh, he is now the Hurricane King and uh, is mid- Mid attack roll versus Devoth. I'm just wondering, is this gonna like turn into like, oh, next the bosun is gonna 
claim that he's the Hurricane King. <laughs> I mean, I'm keep Devon. on going. With the Devon. first paint dead, me, the quartermaster, am now the Hurricane King. <laughs> I mean, Devoth is perfectly fine exterminating them all if that's what needs to happen, but hopefully it won't quite come to that. We sent wave after wave of our own selves after Devoth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's take a look at this. Uh, uh, okay, so that's going to be a 38 to hit, uh, but I believe Devoth's got some extracurricular defenses going on yes i both have displacement and mirror images going all right how many mirror images does devoth have uh four okay so i'll roll a six ignore the six and a one is devoth four so sadak holds his hands over his head like he's charging a fucking masenko from dbz uh and hurls it at devoth this is a spiky ball of ice and it just obliterates one of devoth's mirrors Seeing that uh, Devoth is kind of untouchable right now, Sadak kind of like, ugh. and then he, as a swift action, is going to send another attack. This time at Scram, who is in the uh, on the foremast. I will also throw that reminder out there. Scram does yeah. have displacement going. Okay. Yep. Because I cast that on him last round. Oh yeah, smart cookie. Okay. Uh, that is a. Uh, 42 versus Scram's touch AC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that more than doubles it. So this time, instead of a big spiky ball, he just kind of, he like flexes his arm, which just gets uh, shrouded by this bright, like icy blue energy. And he like air punches right at Scram. And the uh, it makes contact with something. All right, Scram, highs or lows? Uh, highs. 73. <laughs> so, double assault onto Devoth and Scram. Uh, both of them are misses. We're just keeping uh, the same initiative. Up next is Owlbear. So, with Devoth continuing to uh, maintain his performance, I believe... Uh, so Alabar automatically accepts it and regains consciousness oh. because when we last left, <gasps> he had uh, he had one too many bullet holes. He had oh, negative three shit. HP. So now he sits at five health. So Alabar, uh, it is your turn. You are currently prone and, and angry. And ang- yes, you are incapable oh. of concentrating on spells right now. What do you do? I'm gonna hate chug the fuck out of one of those potions. All right. That's uh, 3d8 plus 7. 20. Not bad. All right. Uh, and I'm going to stand up. That's pretty much Owlbear's full turn. He's going to be raging until the beginning of his next turn, at which point he can choose to not be raging. Indeed. Okay, so up next is Scram. I'm going to use Hostile Juxtaposition. Okay. And I believe he has to make uh, Will Negates, yes. So he has to make a Will Save. Okay, and what does that spell do? I uh, create a dimensional link to the target creature being Kurdek. Oh, not Kurdek. Um, Sadak. Being Sadak. Uh, when attacked uh, or the subject of a spell uh, that deals damage to me, I can, as an immediate action, cause myself and the target to switch places as a teleport spell, making him take the damage instead. Okay. Oh. Is that what's the casting time on that? Uh, is it like a 
a reaction or it's probably an immediate action to activate the spell. Yes. So standard I, action to cast it. Yeah. So uh, it, essentially, I'm uh, creating a link between me and him, and then the moment that he attacks me, as an immediate action, I can. It doesn't. Yeah. It can be him, or like even if somebody else shows up and attacks Scram, it doesn't need to be uh, Sadak that performs the conditions needed for the spell to be activated. And you know what? I am going to actually use that so I can target a creature once, uh, one for every uh, four levels that I have. So I you think I'm going to use you have that. the greater version? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I have the greater version of that. Um, I think I'm going to use that on uh, Albert as well and Devoth. Okay. You know that the person that you switch with takes whatever hit you avoid. Love right. it. Love it. Uh, oh, wait, can I do you, that? You can't make them able to switch with Sadak. Yes, but can I switch places with a person who's being attacked instead? I don't think so. Well, let me uh, roll a will save. And, and we'll find out. Yeah. And we'll find out. 23. What level of spell? Is it the seventh level spell? That's oh, a, that's I be a <laughs> He missed. It's 24. <laughs> oh, nice. All right, so at least with him. Okay, uh, up next is Devoth. Okay, and I believe I already figured this out. He is well within my hasted flight range. <laughs> so Devoth uh, maintains rage, and then he just flies right up to Sadak Goldtooth. Well, to within 10 feet of him, and then Devoth is going to vital strike him. All right. I'm going to power attack. I'm going to reckless abandon this too, because he pissed me off. I want to make sure I hit his ass. That's a 37 to hit. Okay, that's going to hit. But as you uh, close the distance, you see that there's actually like a shimmery field that uh, is uh, displacing uh, his image a little bit. Maybe not quite as much as yours, but that's <laughs> uh, so a 48 on the percent die, so that hits. All right. So he is going to take 65 damage. Oh, my God. So, yeah, 65 damage from Chip. And then he's going to take two fire damage. Three sonic damage, and Devoth takes four. Is that massive damage? It is not. I mean, it kind of is, but against <laughs> him, I guess it isn't. <laughs> not anymore. I mean, objectively, yes. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was only like seventy damage. Yeah. Yeah. Whatevs. <laughs> and and like just as Devoth brings the ash, brings the ash as Devoth brings the axe, like crashing down on. Sadak's like shoulder he just gives a grin and goes I've been waiting a long time to do this Sadak Sadak grits his teeth and goes it's mutual (laughs) 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 all right so that is Devoth's turn uh right now it's Ivan's turn oh also sorry before Ivan goes real quick I still have that uh the the bard ghost thing behind me doing the dirge of doom so now uh okay he's shaken all right uh so up next is Ivan uh, I'm gonna go into owl form and owl my way to like here. Okay, and that's my turn. Alrighty. And I'm like, call it thirty feet in there. Okay, now it is Cheryl's turn. Turn into an owl. Yeah, and fly over to Sadak. <laughs> yeah, you know how much Cheryl loves being uh, you know, eighty feet away from the action here. Oh, <laughs> hold on one second. It is not Cheryl's turn. 
Uh-oh. Oh, it's not even my turn. <laughs> Jesus. Because a new challenger approaches. Um, everybody has sea invisibility on, correct? Yeah. Uh, just uh, Devoth, Ivan, and Leon. And Scram has his magic eyes. <laughs> so everybody but Cheryl uh, yeah. would be able to see invisible creatures, correct? <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> I okay. I, uh, I distinctly remember not being able to see invisibility. <laughs> uh, everybody who could see invisible creatures would see this large-sized serpentine creature uh, come slithering out from the officer's quarters and just charge at Cheryl with oh, a God. with a uh, a mournful, uh, rage-filled shriek, wielding two scimitars. Once you're all able to get a good look at this person, you realize that it, that the creature is female. And after a second, you realize this is Hyapatia, a it, woman. It's, it's the whispering in here, bitch. Always whispering in on Kurdak Bonefist. Yo, no ooh, way. She's joining bitch. the fray. Uh, and she's a snake. And she's a snake lady. I need a knowledge nature check for anyone who wants to Nailed know. Nailed it. Who this, nice job. What this uh, person is. Ooh. Scram! Oh, Scram! Scram! <laughs> Scram's got this down. Got that natural. He's been studying this bitch forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah! I knew it was you. <laughs> Watching her, she turns around, called it. Thirty-two. Scram! You know that uh, this creature is a Lamia or Lamia, specifically a Lamia matriarch, which is a Ooh. Uh, a more sinister and powerful version of a Lamia. Um, mm. They are monstrous humanoids with arcane magical abilities, uh, but matriarchs are super special in that while all the spells they cast are arcane in nature and are of the sorcerer spell list, matriarchs can also cast spells from the cleric spell list, even though they're still considered to be casting them as a sorcerer. So, Scram, you can ask me three questions about Lamia matriarchs. Oh, do they have any abilities, like supernatural or spell-like? They do. They have spell-like abilities that they can cast at will, and then a list that they can cast three times per day. And they can also cast spells. They have spells known, like as if they were a sorcerer with class levels. Uh, oh. So I'll give you one, because I know it's the one you want. <laughs> You know that at will they can cast Charm Monster. Oh my god! Oh wait, was wait Charm Monster? Yeah. No. Oh, are you yes. saying Bone Fist was a monster? No, Monster He's a is monster. just Monster is just, just a fist. universal term that can apply to any creature type. Oh, Instead, so like, like Charm Person yeah. only can tar- be targeted to humanoids. That bitch. Charm Monster, you can charge, you can charm any creature as long as I didn't oh. know that. Oh. I didn't either. That's crazy. All right, uh, that satisfies that need. Oh. All right, uh, let's go with immunities. She's immune to mind-affecting effects. Okay. Wait a minute. <laughs> Isn't that all psychic magic? You're kind of. You fucker. <laughs> that was a lot of bad news we just got here. She's how close to Cheryl? Uh, <laughs> all, all the way. <laughs> inside she's perfect (laughs) she's about to be all right so uh she finishes her charge not that cheryl notices although he probably true he probably hears the uh the horrible screech that's a natural 20 no no it's not we killed the bad guy alex please (laughs) and that's gonna be a 24 
versus Cheryl's flat-footed AC minus two to confirm. Uh, let's do some math. Flat-footed. No, it's 27. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I rolled a natural Yay. two, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was like, well, I mean, she's charging and he can't see her. Oh, maybe. <laughs> nope. All right. So it's just a normal a, no- a normal scimitar sucker punch. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're going to take 12 points of damage. Ah, and That's only two after my belt, my heavyweight belt, WWE champion for life. <laughs> and I need a will save, please. Oh, that's not good. Oh, 26. Oh, nice. Oh. Uh, you you feel you feel the the searing pain from the scimitar cut, but you also feel like you actually got like sucker punched. And for a second, uh, your your mental faculties kind of shake a little bit, but you're able to uh, hold yourself together. Uh, yeah, as if you were about to take some <laughs> wisdom damage. That, that's Ooh, Cheryl snap. barely holding on. Let's go. <laughs> now it's Cheryl's turn. Now it's Cheryl's turn. And since she attacked me. Now she's not invisible? She's still invisible. Oh, fuck. But I feel where all that pain came from, right? You're so. pretty certain there's somebody standing right in front of you okay. who just stabbed you. <laughs> and now, is she any part humanoid for my bane? Or she's monstrous she's... humanoid, but that is a different type entirely from humanoid. Yeah, you, Dang. you and with Bane, you, it's very specific. Like, you did Bane human, so that yeah. will not even work. It wouldn't even work on... A dwarf. It only works on humans, oh. half orcs, and half elves. Ah, at the end of all six books, we're we're still learning. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> oh, that's a thirty-six. You want highs or lows for your uh, concealment from being invisible? Oh, uh, highs got to stay high. Sixty-eight. Nice. Yes. All right, Cheryl. You feel you make contact with your book. Yeah. 16 damage, but wait, there's more. He swings again in a flurry of bookish um, might. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me let me do some <laughs> elemental damage first. Oh, 11. Six fire and five sonic, keeping with the, uh, the blow dryer theme. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that hair dryer going. Yeah. Okay. And second attack, 27. As the pages flutter. And lash out in the name of Phrasma. You don't seem to hit on the second attack. Oh, I curse Phrasma under my breath. <laughs> you are hasted still. I am hasted. Third attack incoming. 31. You do not seem to hit. Okay. Um, that's going to be it for me. Wait. Five foot step, perhaps? Okay. I take a five foot step backwards. Okay. You are, that um, puts you sort on of the stairs. In- um, yeah, in the stairs so that she's got to try to limit the directions she can fight me from. Okay. And thus um, my sensing for where she's attacking me from. Sure, sure. Uh, just, a remi- just a heads up, though. While you're on stairs, that's difficult terrain. So you can't take another five-foot step in any direction. You can five-foot step into difficult terrain, but not out of it. <laughs> I'm still having trouble with steps. Yeah. How old am I? <laughs> I? I'm a sailor. And the steps same, are like, still difficult you, for me. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to... I thought it was a cool move, so I'm going to do it and just hope it wasn't a stupid move like it always is. It was a super <laughs> cool move. Yeah, that, that was nice. All right. Damn thanks, rules. guys. <laughs> Damn rules. All right. Up next is Sadak. Sadak's going to take a five-foot step back from Devoth. And uh, 
seeing an opponent who isn't protected by displacement, he's going to aim a blast at Ivan. After uh, gathering some power, he is going to fire another bolt of energy similar to the one he fired at Scram. All right, so Ivan, that's a 33 versus your touch AC. Yeah, it hits. So this blast is maximized, so I don't need to roll any dice. Ivan, you take 66 points of damage. Dear Lord. I have a question for you, Nick. Yep, it is. Is that over half of Ivan's max health? Uh, It doesn't count temporary HP, right? It, yeah, it's, that includes rage. Oh, then no. Oh. <laughs> but like, j- barely, like two Son points. Bitch. <laughs> I wanted one thing today. <laughs> to kill Ivan? To ki- well, any of you, really, but... Oh. I'm an easy target. <laughs> yeah, well, get out of the, get out of your little hidey hole. All right, uh, and now Sadak is going to quicken a uh, a blast, and uh, he's targeting Cheryl. <laughs> Take a dive. He needs this real bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you roll a concealment for that railing. I'm sure that would stop a blast. <laughs> Thirty four versus your touch AC plus four. Oh no! Oh my touch AC plus four. Yeah, because that cover bonus. Hold I, on. I got Hold you, on. It's still going to get you. Yeah. Oh, touch it. Yeah, touch AC is the joke one. <laughs> no, that totally wrecks me. Joe, that would have hit your regular AC plus four. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was like. <laughs> okay, so Cheryl, you're going to take 51 cold damage. Uh, is that a negotiable amount? or Not really. And Sadak, Not really? Is, Sadak is going to employ one of his abilities called Ride the Blast. When everything's said and done, you like you blink, and uh, Sadak is standing right in front of you. Oh. <laughs> as Excuse if he, me, what? As if he had like like he got like broke himself the down, blast. became part of the uh, like the icy energy, and just rode the blast over to Cheryl. That's so cool, but so That's rude. That's insane. God. Uh, okay, so that was Sadak. All right, up next is Albert. Okay. Albert is going to step out of the cabin. <gasps> That's a mistake. So uh, I'm going to hit him with the finger guns and cast finger of death. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Boy, howdy. All right. So he needs to make a fortitude save at 24. That is a 31 uh, on his fortitude save. So does he take So uh, it instead takes 3d6 points of damage plus one point per caster level. So that would be 22 damage. Okay. So... Sadak is clearly not dead, but with each attack that he unleashed onto you all, more and more of his like physical form seemed to just be decaying, being like consumed by this cold energy that he was firing off on you guys. In in essence, he's dealing uh, non-lethal damage to himself in uh, exchange for being able to use really, really cool abilities. Not just a little bit of non-lethal damage either. Like Each each tick is one point per level, um, and he's taken quite a few ticks at this point. Uh, so, Owlbear, you, you can tell uh, Sadak isn't dead, but he falls down unconscious. Up next is Scram. Scram is... You know what? I don't think he's ever going to be able to do it in game, so fuck it. Uh, Arcane Cannon, uh, okay. and he's going to do it at uh, the base level of the um, of the mast. Okay. So you just like like fucking Ant Man style. You just like flick your cannon, like your little miniature cannon, down onto the main deck, and then like as soon as it hits the deck, it just boom, just turns into a <laughs> yeah. a normal sized cannon. 
<laughs> I well, do I actually toss the cannon, or is it just the? Uh... I think he's just kind of flavoring it that way. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. The yeah. The, I mean, the you said you were doing it at the on the deck, right? Yeah. Your focus is what turns into the cannon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was flavoring it, but also no, I wasn't. Oh, okay. Also, just so you know, Tom, that that does take a full round to cast. So the cannon will like you start casting that, and the cannon will appear at the start of your next turn, which you can then start using. Yeah. Fuck it. That's right. that's what I'm doing. Okay. Okie dokie. Up next is Devoth. All right. So this burst of cold energy just shoots past Devoth, and then he, he looks, and Sadak is just gone. He's like, oh, God damn it, where the fuck did that guy go? He turns around, and he sees him lying on the deck at Cheryl's feet. That and... doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, but I didn't kill him yet. And then, you know, looking and seeing him standing there, he also sees this snake lady creature also harrowing his Devoth's master at arms, and he just flies back. She's also stealing your thunder as the large, the largest creature in the battle. Yeah, no, that, that cannot be let it stand. So Devoth, <laughs> maintaining rage, <laughs> flies back and is going to take a vital strike at the Snake Lady. All right. Who is now shaken as well from Dirge of Doom. Oh, that's a nat one. Uh-oh, roll to confirm. Uh, you know what? Fuck it, hero point. Oh, man. Yes. I'm going to re-roll that. You are, would, That's a 33 to hit. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So My hero. That is <laughs> 62 damage from Chip. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. She's got some mirror images. <gasps> oh. We uh, fell into her trap card. Okay. So she has five images plus herself. Ugh. Five images plus herself? Yes. So, Matt, do you want to make the roll you want me to? Uh, I'll roll it. Okay. I even have a d6 in front of me. All right. I rolled a one. Of course you did. <laughs> That's the good one, right? <laughs> yes. He, he didn't designate which one hits. I mean, I was using Alex's <laughs> standard rules that a, a one hits the target and any other number is the mirror. Yeah. So yeah, that is 62 axe damage plus one fire and three sonic. And Devoth takes six damage from the vicious. Okay. She didn't like that. I would hope not. Pick on someone your own size, bitch. Oh. Uh, and she's just like, like her eyes are just like bloodshed. Like she looks like she's rage crying right now. And she she's just like shouting like, you killed him. You killed him. How could you? I'll kill you. It wasn't that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is Ivan. Um, Do another victory lap around the lagoon. <laughs> nah, I'm in kitty missile range, so we're going to do that. All right. And I'm going to throw on some reckless abandon and power attack with this. Uh, so we'll start with Zibite. Uh Is a 35 to hit? All right, that hits. Let's check the mirrors. That's a 2 on the D6, so you strike a mirror. Okay. Now let's do the claws. Uh, first one is a 33 to hit. That'll hit again. We're going to ignore the six and a one is her. I got another two. So you hit another mirror. Honestly, if you could just get rid of all the mirrors with this, that is not a waste of a turn at all. <laughs> mm. Uh, next one's a 26, which I think misses. That misses, but it is within five of her AC. So it still gets rid of a mirror. Okay. Last one's a 34. That hits. She's down to two images plus herself. 
I'm going to roll a d4, ignore the 4, and 1 is her. That's a 3. So she has uh, 1 image left plus herself. And plus Ivan still has I'm one hasted. more attack. Yes. <laughs> but uh, 29 to hit. Oh, that misses, but it takes out her remaining mirror. Oh, all right. That that was a good turn. <laughs> Take and down cool. all of her defenses. Yeah. <laughs> so flashy. Just chomping her up. Well, not uh, her. Well, I mean, she's got a bunch of mirrors next to her, and you're like, nope, nope, bitch, get out of here, nope. And <laughs> like, now it's just us. It's like a cat with a laser I think she has one like, go, 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 go. Nope, you got rid of all the mirrors. Yeah, you got every single one. Because you had, you had five attacks, and they all yeah. hit a mirror. <laughs> yeah, even your missus got rid of a mirror. All right, it is now Hyapatia's turn, and she's going to cast a spell defensively. She successfully cast defensively, and she's going to target everybody except for Scram with a slow spell, which I think cancels out with cancels haste. out haste. which cancels out haste. Does anybody need to make a saving throw for that, or does it just cancel it out because it's conflicting spells? I believe it just cancels it out. It says slow counters and dispels haste. So, like instead okay, of cool. inflicting the slow spell effect, it can just counter our our. It can just dispel our haste effect. All right. Someone casts haste again, so she feels like a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, everybody loses their haste effect. And up next is Cheryl, who still can't see this bitch, but everybody seems to be attacking somebody standing right in front of him. All right. I'm inclined to lay into the dead body because I can see that one, but he's probably pretty dead. So I'm going to do exactly as you said and fight what I can't see. Okay. Uh, so what square are you attacking? Uh, <laughs> did she hit me oh no did she hit me last time she did she not. didn't right no he uh, did you felt like you got your haste spell removed right and so now i'm out of range and you, and you can't five foot step off the stairs <laughs> god damn it <laughs> Team, All I right. swear to well, God, I, I don't do these things on purpose. I'm sorry. This is the move no one saw coming. <laughs> on purpose, you fucking warned him about it. This is all on Joe. Cheryl's going to take out his not often used, but totally powerful light crossbow. Ooh, okay. And so he, what, is so that he draws a, his crossbow as a move action. Yep. And then he fires it okay. right into where he can't see. Sure. 22. That will not hit. <laughs> and now I'm stuck holding this fucking crossbow. Should have just thrown the crossbow at it. <laughs> I know. Okay. Use it to launch your book. Okay, yeah, up next right. is Owlbear. Huh. Well, I'm gonna cast Finger of Death on it. Alright. I believe that's your last one for the day. Oh yeah. Fortitude twenty four. Okay. Fuck it up. Twenty three. <gasps> oh, 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 oh inspiration. So, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt, give me a boost. Yeah, yeah, doesn't work on saving throws. <laughs> Damn it. So, that's uh, 10 points of damage per caster level. Uh huh. Yeah, so that's it really was a finger of death. Yeah, that's 140 finger, finger gun damage. And Hyapatia is just like her, her chest just like concaves and like she just coughs up blood it just starts like gushing like out of directly out of her throat through like tears in her flesh and she just falls to the deck dead 
You is it fair to assume Cheryl thinks he did that since he couldn't see her? <laughs> I bet he. I bet he. He does think he did that with his. Crossbow. Good job, Cheryl. Got her right where it needed to be. And As then, the crossbow sails through and goes into the wood, yeah, it just, like, <laughs> he like he like shoots the crow's nest. He's like, wow, he shot it right up. through her. And just then, Scram's uh, cannon spell goes off, and he shoots Cheryl right in the face. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about par for the course. All right, uh, so with that, uh, the combat seems to be over. Uh, Sadak doesn't seem to be dead, but he is uh, he's in pretty rough shape. Huge chunks of his skin are like missing and in their place is just this like like bright staticky energy that's just kind of like leaking out from uh like beneath the surface as if his skin is just this shell holding in this like humanoid shape of uh energy. Ew. Uh, seeing that, I'd like Gross. to uh take his gold tooth as a souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> um Tom, <laughs> Tom, how much damage does your arcane cannon do? Oh. <laughs> I was actually thinking the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's 4d10, oh, uh, but okay. I can add, like, an effect to it. Okay. Well, what Devoth wants to do is tie up Sadak and Uh-oh. <laughs> and bring him over so that he's, like, kneeling in front of this arcane cannon. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then cast a cure spell on him to wake him up. No way. All no right. way. While you're... That's fine. While you're doing that. <laughs> Check your alignment, though. <laughs> <laughs> While Devoth is doing that, the rest of you would see uh, a woman climbing down from the crow's nest. Uh, and she has her rifle strung up on her back. It is very evident that when Devoth told her to drop her gun down to the deck, she did not comply. Uh, but, but she also is... did not keep shooting at us. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the gun, the gun is currently strung uh, over her back. She's clearly not about to fight anybody. And she reaches the, the main deck. She just kind of looks at all of you and she says, Well, I haven't seen a brawl like that in some time. My name's Omara Culverin. And I have no special alliance with the Hurricane King. Uh, I'm actually an, an ambassador of the Grand Duchy of Alkenstar. The Grand Hoosets of what's it now? Says the new Hurricane King. <laughs> uh, everybody who wants to can give me a knowledge local or geography check. Um, I'll, I rolled a six. I'll, I'll take my 20 for a 29 on the geography. Okay. 26. 25. Devoth, Albert, and Cheryl all know that Alkenstar is the birthplace of firearms. Devoth, you would actually know that uh, Alkenstar has some select uh, contracts with certain governing bodies, so it would appear that they have a, a a contract of some sort with the Shackles, and that would explain why the Hurricane King's ship has a like a full dozen cannons uh, loaded on it, and you would imagine that the Hurricane King has been getting some sort of special deal with them, which may explain how he got his special... Cannon uh, golem. Special cannon golem and special uh, revolver. Oh, okay. But yeah. Uh, she, so she holds out a hand to Devoth and she says, I presume I'm speaking to the newest Hurricane King. Indeed you are. And Devoth like, <laughs> reaches <clears throat> his giant hand down to <laughs> gently grip hers and shake it. <laughs> I appreciate you not uh, just coming through here and killing everything in sight, including me. Um, well, I appreciate you not shooting us in the back, so uh, yeah. 
Well, like, I would have stood a chance if I started doing that anyway. It's a fair point, but it's amazing how many people still try. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Well, I can see, uh, you. I imagine you still have some loose ends to tie up, uh, she says while staring at Devoth tying up Sadat Goldtooth. Uh, <laughs> so, I will retreat to my residence here in the sea caves, and when you, uh, when things calm down a little bit i will be happy to renegotiate a new contract with the shackles on behalf of alkin star all right well i look forward to it all right so let's fast forward to sadat goldtooth waking up while tied up kneeling in front of his tooth staring down the barrel of (laughs) of an arcane cannon Ah! what what's what uh, what are you doing i wanted you to see this because passing out from your own exertion just didn't seem good enough. So I want you to stare right down that, uh, that, that fun little hole right there. And I want you to know this is what you get for fucking with me from the beginning. Maybe if you weren't such a jackass, this wouldn't be your fate. Scram. He stares down the barrel and <laughs> spits in it. It's Bring it on, it. motherfucker. It spits right back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and roll uh, 16d10. Scram for the coup de grace. 16. 90. Or 90. Oh, my God. Yeah, you obliterate him. Point blank range. He (laughs) was nowhere near full health. And Sadat Goldtooth is no more. All right. Satisfying. Let's talk loot. Ooh, Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little coy, and we're gonna start at Hypatia. <laughs> uh, so she's got a couple scrolls on her: Dominate Person, Mage's Private Sanctum. She's got two plus one scimitars, a belt of plus two strength, a cape of the Mountaback, which gives you a once per day dimension door, a circlet of persuasion, a necklace of adaptation, and jewelry uh, worth a total of five hundred gold. And uh, I'll assume you guys looted Sadak before you uh, shoved him in front of a cannon. Uh, <laughs> he has a wand. He has a wand of cure critical wounds with twenty five charges left. He's got a plus two chain shirt, a belt of plus two dex and con, boots of elven kind, a cloak of resistance plus three, a quick runner shirt, and a ring of protection plus three. Now we'll talk Hurricane King. Yeah, let's talk turkey. He's got some feather tokens, feather token of anchor, fan, and swan boat. These are like, they're just like little feathers that are the size and weight of a feather, but like as a standard action, they turn into a specific item. Uh, he's got some potions, bark skin plus five, cure serious wounds. He's got two of those, lesser restoration, neutralize poison, remove curse, remove disease, shield of faith plus five. And then he's got a plus four moderate fortification leather armor, a plus three rapier, an amulet of proof against detection and location. It basically stops anybody from scrying on him. A belt of plus six dex and con. Plus boots six? Of, yeah. Damn. Ooh. Boots of speed. A coat of resistance plus five. Basically, a same thing as a cloak of resistance, but it's like a, like a big heavy captain's coat. Plus five? Yeah. Uh, Gloves of dueling, a handy haversack, a headband of plus two wisdom, a ring of evasion, 
a ring of freedom of movement, sniper goggles, and a gunsmith's kit. Dear Lord, what was this guy, a king or something? (laughs) (laughs) And there's also a magical revolver and a magical crown that you don't remember seeing him wearing, but when his hat fell off of his head, uh, turned into a crown. I want Uh, some- Shotgun uh, crown. (laughs) I want some spellcraft checks, please. And I'll take a knowledge local or history check for the crown. Oh, 40 spellcraft. Oh, my God. Ah, oh, boy. I have to put it on my head to understand what it does, though. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> uh, Devoth got a 19 local. 30 knowledge local for Owlbear. Devoth and Owlbear know that the Hurricane Crown is a very powerful magical item that has been handed down or taken by force uh, throughout the generations of Hurricane Kings. Uh, leading back to the very first Hurricane King, Turpin Irons. We're going to start with the magical revolver, though, with the magical properties. This plus one reliable distance revolver has a walnut stock and nickel-plated barrel and gold accents that show signs of wear and exposure to the elements but otherwise show fine craftsmanship. Any ammo fired from this gun deal an additional 1d6 points of negative energy damage on a hit on a successful crit, which he did to himself, the target receives one temporary negative level. Nice. Any creature wielding the gun who is not undead or has a special skeletal hand receives one permanent negative level that cannot be removed or negated in any way, though that it does go away once the gun is no longer being wielded by them. So basically you pick the gun up and you just feel part of your life force ebb away while you're holding it. Now let's talk about the Hurricane Crown. Yeah. A band of golden skulls encircles this golden crown, and smaller skulls top its points. On command, the crown changes its shape and appearance to assume the form of a normal piece of headwear, such as a hat or scarf, retaining all of its other magical and physical properties, including weight. Only spells like True Seeing reveal its true nature when so disguised. The wearer gains a plus five competence bonus on profession sailor checks and on survival checks to determine direction or predict weather at sea. Uh, The wearer can see normally through fog, mist, smoke, and precipitation or weather effects, whether natural or magical. Once per day, the wearer can cast Control Winds, and if you're casting it while on board a ship, you decide if the ship and any creatures on board the ship are affected or not. And in addition, once per day, the wearer can target himself with either a sea mantle or winds of vengeance spell. Those, I'll, I'll just say those are two very potent defensive spells. I think sea mantle is a ninth level spell wow. and winds of vengeance is an eighth level spell. Yeah, this stuff all sounds super broken. <laughs> Lastly, the wearer can create a phase door effect in the rocks of Lucher Hold to access or leave the sea caves and hidden harbor beneath the island. If used while standing on a ship, the phase door effect is large enough to accommodate the ship and all creatures on it. The phase door remains invisible and inaccessible to all other creatures and ships and otherwise functions as a normal phase door spell. So that explains how even though there's clearly no exit to the the cave that you're in, the ship is nonetheless uh, docked here as if it can come and go as it pleases. But it can only come and go as long as the Hurricane King or whoever's wearing this crown is on the ship. Correct. All right, so what do you guys do now? I assume the ship has a bell. Sure. As if the sound of that combat was not loud enough, Devoth is going to like 
take off his hat after forever of wearing it <laughs> and he's going to put on the the crown and he's just going to start ringing the ever-living fuck out of that bell does devoth change the crown's appearance in any way yeah it looks exactly like the old hat he took off <laughs> uh oh no devoth actually he would make it look basically like a much nicer version of the hat he was wearing before right, so it's like on fire or something all right so devoth puts the hurricane crown on and it looks like a very nice bicorn hat, and he starts ringing the shit out of the bell. All of these sailing-capable people uh, still alive in the sea caves uh, kind of tentatively come out of the buildings that you guys haven't been in yet, and uh, they, they come on board. And it doesn't take them long to, to see the carnage of their former king and captain and the what is left of uh, their first mate. <laughs> and uh, they see Devoth standing there with the rest of you guys. There's like a, there's like a moment of like, oh, shit. But then they, they kind of like collect themselves and they stand up straight and they give Devoth a, a good strong salute. And they say, Captain Devoth, what are your orders? Well, first things first, uh, why don't we put a stop to the the fighting going on outside, shall we? Yes, death to the rebels. <laughs> <laughs> Crush them under your heels, King. Make for the exit. Aye, aye. And the ship, uh, the ship turns east, and uh, Devoth is uh, inherently able to activate the crown's uh, effects, and the ship is able the 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 walls kind of just open up, and you're all hit with dazzling sunlight after being in this dimly lit cave for so long. And uh, with but a turn to port, you soon spot the naval battle still raging outside of Port Peril's harbor. Spotting their flagship, the defending ships of Port Peril fall back to regroup with you, assuming you to be Kurdak Bonefist, sailing out to rally his fleet. At the same time, the ships you know to be from your own fleets, or else from Tessa Fairwind, Aranax and Demian, and the Master of Gales, rally behind the luck of the draw, Tessa's sloop of war. What do you do? I look out and I see this guy flying around pushing people in pits and I think, damn, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, uh, Devoth has them, he takes the ship over so it is positioned directly in between the two fleets in in the harbor, in the lagoon. Mm -hmm. And with the enlarged person still active, I'm going to assume his, like, it's probably, it's been at least five minutes, so... Actually, the enlarged person's probably worn off too, but Devoth is going to hit his boots of his winged boots one last time for the day, okay. and fly up, and he's going to use one last scroll of Mage's decree, and just while hovering a hundred feet above the filthy Lucier, Devoth just makes the proclamation: Kurdak Bonefist is dead. Anyone who remained loyal to him, fly up your white flag now. And no further punishment will come to you. Kurdak Bonefist is dead. And your new king is Devoth Song Cleaver. Uh, you hear uh, eruptuous de- uh, applause coming from uh, Tessa's fleets. And uh, a sea of white flags are raised up to answer Devoth's decree. The battle is over. And you guys oh. have control of poor wow. peril. And by extension... The shackles. Oh my god, two and a half years. 
That's insane. We're going to run this place into the ground. It's going to be a shanty town. Oh, we fucking did everywhere. <laughs> Statues everywhere. Fancy Bankrupt tables it. for everybody. Statue that's the platform we run on. Oh, Fancy right. table Devo- in every home and a statue in every yard. Devoth just claimed his, his table back. Yay. <laughs> oh. All right. So I'm let's. Sorry, uh, what he did to you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he can't hurt you anymore. He never used a like, coaster. <laughs> I can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> it looks like a detention desk. <laughs> <laughs> it's got like KB, like scratched in it with a dagger. Uh, all right. So I'm going to kind of like move things along a little bit. So the bulk of the ships go into Port Peril's Harbor and Devoth and the crew take the Filthy Lucia back into the sea caves. And from there, you're able to kind of get a better appraisal of everything in the sea caves without going into too much detail. Uh, I'll just say that this uh, this bottom right building, this is kind of like guest quarters. You find Omara Culverin in there. Okay. And this next building, farther up the docks, is your own private tavern. Oh, decent. You've got a couple uh, couple buildings over here dedicated for uh, jailing. You got the stocks. And then this circular tower has uh, a bunch of gunpowder in it. It's actually, it's borderline dangerous <laughs> how much gunpowder is in this tower. And atop the tower is a very special cannon called the Sirocco Cannon. <laughs> so it's a it's a plus one shocking cannon, uh, and three times per day you can fire special ammunition that creates a Sirocco effect uh, to the target that it hits. Wow! Uh, and then farther up at the end of the docks, you've got Devoth, your new uh, private residence. You've got like a big trophy hall in here that uh, is just full of cool stuff. K one. Uh, you've got your own private dining hall in here, a uh, private bedroom that overlooks your harbor, and the piece de resistance, in my opinion, you've got the lounge. Wooden shelves line the walls of this chamber, and flickering flames in glass sconces provide a warm light. A plush carpet covers the floor, and deep piles of cushions lie scattered among stuffed chairs and couches. Uh, the shelves on the walls hold thousands of maps inscribed or stolen by generations of pirates, including coastal surveys, tidal charts, maps of currents, prevailing winds in constellations across latitudes and seasons. Some maps reveal features of the seafloor or coastlines of far-off lands such as Arcadia, Aslan, and Tianxia, which is uh, like the other side of the planet, and even a few claiming to reveal the outlines of mysterious Sarusan which is another continent nobody really knows anything about. Wow. The shelves also contain centuries of piratical histories gathered from around the world, many clearly embellished, but others astonishingly detailed, naturalistic accounts as well as records of wrecked ships and sunken or buried treasure, and many intimate diaries and pages of personal correspondence. A couple of these uh, stand out to you guys. I'm just going to give them to you. Uh, One such standout. Uh, a little over a hundred years ago, Captain Butcher was heading north from the Shackles, bringing several valuable magic items to Riddleport. As he passed what would come to be called the Sodden Lands, the eternal storm called the Eye of Abendego was formed. Pretty much literally just dropped right on top of his ship. Oh, shit. He never reached his destination. In addition to untold riches, it's believed his hold contained a deck of many things. 
Based on his heading, time of departure, and estimated speed, the best estimate is that the ship now lies at the bottom of the sea directly below the eye of the eternal storm. Huh. Another noteworthy uh, thingamabob. An old, badly water-damaged, but surprisingly legible atlas of the eastern coast of the lost continent of Aslan. Several sites off the coast or just inland are highlighted with notes cataloging heaps of lost treasure. One note includes an illustration of what Scram would recognize from his studies in the Mystics Redoubt as the completed, fully functioning, deep platinum crown. Uh, Another noteworthy oh. bit. A series of notes accumulated over dozens of different authors outlines the presence of underwater sea caves beneath Lucier Hold, containing the hidden treasure of the original Hurricane King. All notes detail a labyrinth that's noted as impossible to navigate, containing unseen dangers, and ultimately not worth the trouble. Hmm. Uh, that's what they think. <laughs> Another note. A Horizon Walker's testimonies describe a massive structure called Phantom's Ebb on the elemental plane of water. Assembled from countless sunken ships containing a staggering volume of lost treasure, the Horizon Walker gives very detailed information in his approximations, and if his account is to be believed, a trove containing upwards of 100 points of plunder rests in this site. The testimony concludes that the treasure is unobtainable, though, as the area is swarming with undead shadows and worse. Yo, we got a kingdom worth of fighters. Let's go get that shit. Listen, <laughs> wave after wave of my own men. Uh, so whether copied from ancient scrolls or relics of long-forgotten expeditions, the collection of maps here is the equal of any in the inner sea region. Consulting these maps for 1d6 hours grants a plus 10 bonus on any knowledge geography check about any location in the world within 100 miles of the coast. Studying the books here for 2d6 hours grants a plus 10 bonus on any knowledge history, local, or nobility check about pirates past and present, and a plus 5 bonus on all knowledge skill checks regarding the Islands of the Shackles, the Sodden Lands, the Eye of Abendego, and the Arcadian Ocean. Spending a week cataloging the maps and the library within... Uh, spending a week cataloging the maps in the library with a successful DC-30 appraise check uncovers rare maps, documents, and volumes worth a total of 5,000 gold. And wow. that's why it's my favorite room in this map. That's awesome. That's, in- that's insane. All right, so uh, while you're in uh, this little hidden redoubt here, you're in there for a while, and you, when you come out, there's actually a couple uh, rowing boats uh, that your uh, your new crew has... have. Uh, gotten together for you guys to make your trip uh back to the the top of the map uh so you can be rowed rowed up in style okay cool i was about to say i'm definitely not about to row my own boat you know (laughs) with my stature now oh yeah uh so as you reach the halfway point between the docks and the underwater lake the water begins to ripple and churn and suddenly the surface of the lake explodes at the appearance of a huge skeletal creature as the mist settles, you behold the undead skeleton of a massive dragon. Uh, uh hey, buddy. A massive, friendly dragon. As you all prepare for an unexpected fight, the dragon simply dips its gigantic head and murmurs, Long live the Hurricane King, before slowly sinking again below the waves. Whew, dodged a bullet there. Yeah, why didn't he just use the dragon? Well, you guys would have fucking fought him if Scram didn't dimension door you guys straight to the ship, you motherfuckers. 
feels so good. Uh, I mean, you, he would have still been around for you guys unless you killed him with uh, positive energy. He like reforms every like few hours or something. Uh, but yeah, you guys have like a new guard dog. So you exit the sea caves and you go up to to Fort Hazard, the Hurricane King's private mansion. And wealth and treasures abound in there, including a very expensive table. Yeah. Yeah. In, uh, so it's been several hours at this point. You guys looking through the underwater sea cave or the underground sea caves at your new your new secret lair, and then going topside looking at your new fortress. And uh, so finally, you guys exit the front door of Fort Hazard, and you behold a massive crowd all lined up along the cobblestone road, all cheering, "All hail Devoth, the Hurricane King!" Further out, you see the Port Peril Lagoon filled with every sailing ship within the city limits, and the distant static of thousands of cheering citizens can be heard, with the occasional sizzle and pop of fireworks being launched from the decks of some of the ships. All right. A week-long celebration is held, honoring Devoth and his crew, not only for their accomplishments here in the city, but also for your successful repelling of a massive Chelish invasion, uh, as word of that spreads. Throughout the week, yep. pirate lords from all over the shackles arrive in the city to pay their respects and swear fealty to Devoth. There are feasts aplenty, and competitions of naval, martial, and magical prowess are held throughout the city. And, and food, plenty right? of eating competitions for Cheryl. <laughs> yeah. and I. Exactly. Does anyone have any loose ends they'd like to tie up during this time? Uh, Devoth wants to name Bidzeel his uh, personal brewmaster in his in the, in the tavern in the sea oh caves. tight oh that's oh, nice yeah. all right uh one more thing devoth wants to do too i know he struck a deal with captain cork to uh let him use part of Sharkbane island mm-hmm. that man you know should what? be a pirate lord yeah you know what that's that's what we're gonna do him and devoth are not the best of friends but, but he, he never did, did you dirty he never did me dirty and he did Join us for this fight, despite it coming at great personal cost. Especially the last I saw his ship, it was like about to sink. And Devoth is the Ash Ketchum of the Shackles, giving away all his Pokemon. I was gonna say, <laughs> if you really want to make it up to him, why don't you give him his scram back? <laughs> <laughs> the boy's <is> all yours. <laughs> I've used it all I needed from him. <laughs> yeah. But no, I I I do. I want to I want to name Captain Cork to the Pirate Council. And give him Sharkbane Island. And Sandera. Dang. Oh, man. He is, he can't believe it. He's like, I, he's like, I get the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, you might have to talk to the Cyclops a little bit, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's yours. He says, that's, that's fine. That's fine. I'm, my silver tongue is my best attribute, I've always said. Man, what's Sandera thinking right now? I mean, she already has an island. She has, she has that fly spec. <laughs> She's not a pirate <laughs> lord. She's not on the council. I mean, I think she is pretty much like honorary part of the council as being part of my close confidants. You know, yeah. just like Sadat Goldtooth was on there, despite <laughs> she's just on being the... a, not not a captain. Yeah, of the she's ship. on the council as surely as you guys are, <laughs> as surely as Sadat Goldtooth was, and fucking pretty face, whatever his name was, Sweet Lips. Yeah, him. Yeah. All right, Tom, what do you got? Scram's got a heavy. Uh, he's got a, a little bit of a heavy task here. Um... You usually <clears throat> keep things so simple, though. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, Scram kind of takes a look around and realizes, like, I have my brother, I have my mom, 
And I even have Peppery back. But, like, there's a level of, like, missing involved. And he realizes, like, I really want to talk to my dad again. And he's going to attempt to... Oh, shit. What was the name of that spell? I'm looking to bring my dad back. To life? Yes. God, Scram thinks he's a fucking god now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some I mean, sort of necromancing cl- god. Closest closest person in the group, honestly. <laughs> uh, all right, so Scram's limited wish can do many things, but in terms of reviving the dead, your choices are limited to the spells Raise Dead and Reincarnate, which you used on Peppery. Uh, so Raise Dead requires you to have the subject's body present for the casting of the spell, but Reincarnate only requires some small remains. Now, perhaps Evo was able to secret away a lock of hair or some other piece of coal after his death. But the other big hurdle is time. Raise dead can't be cast if the subject has been dead for more than a number of days equal to the caster's level. 14 days in your case. And reincarnate is even worse, requiring the subject to have been dead no longer than a week in order to work. The lowest level spell needed to get Scram's dad returned to life is resurrection, a 7th level cleric spell which Limited Wish cannot cast. Uh, it, and it still requires a s- uh, small piece of the subject taken in death and a hefty material component cost of a diamond worth 10,000 gold. But it can otherwise bring back a willing soul who's been dead for as long as 10 years per caster level. As it turns out, Eva did keep a lock of Cole's hair, which she kept out of instinct before Father Hall disposed of the body in a fashion she's not willing to talk about. Uh, does Scram have the funds for the diamond? Does he have uh, the funds? Are you kidding me? Yeah. After all this stuff we got, after dividing stuff up, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to saying. Assume. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yes. Okay. Uh, so Scram. Uh, Scram's Scram fun. drops for the ten th- yeah. ten thousand gold diamond. Got it. All right. Uh, so then the matter is finding a uh, spellcaster. Even with your new authority and connections, it's not easy to find a spellcaster powerful enough to cast the spell you need, though the task is certainly much less difficult than it would have been, even as a mighty pirate lord, by proxy. After a full day of questioning and giving orders, you find yourself in the upper hold of Autumn, with Chase, Peppery, and your mother present, with an old halfling cleric of Besmera, who actually was just passing through to pay his respects to the new Hurricane King. This halfling, named Abadayo, instructs you to hand him the diamond and Eva to place Cole's hair on the floor in front of him. He then holds the diamond high over his head and begins casting the spell, which takes several minutes. Thin layers of diamond begin flaking off like an onion being peeled and begin flurrying through the air like flower petals. After a full minute, the diamond has become nothing but thousands of tiny sheets of sparkling stone, which have all coalesced over the lock of hair, forming a shape vaguely humanoid in size and form. The flakes begin to harden and adjust, creating a cacophony of delicate clinks, until the shape sharpens into a fully defined shell, as if poured from a mold of Cole's body. You can see distinct facial features in the shell, features you recognize from Eva's vision. Finally, the hard diamond shell begins to crack all over, letting out hairline fractures of white light. The cracks grow and multiply until it shatters in a burst of blinding, radiant light. A moment passes, and you're able to see again. But when you look at the floor, all you see is the remains of the diamond shell, now merely fragments of a dull gray husk. Just from watching the spell progress, you were expecting maybe a body to emerge from the shell, 
but nothing. No accompanying body, living or otherwise, can be seen. Abadayo stares at the floor, dumbfounded. He blinks and stammers, I, I don't understand. Eva glares sharply at Abadayo. Why didn't it work? The old halfling strains up indignantly. The spell worked perfectly, thank you very much. If the soul does not wish to return, though... That is not what happened. Eva has the collar of the halfling's robes gripped in clenched fists, practically shaking him in defiance. Instead of appearing to be further offended or threatened, though, Abadayo looks sad and perhaps slightly concerned. He waits for Eva to release his robes before speaking. Well, there is one other possible explanation. There could be something from the other side preventing Cole's soul from returning, but it would have to be nearly deific in strength, in which case our mortal magics would have no effect. Scram, Chase, and Eva all share looks. Scram and Chase looks of foreboding and maybe a little fear, but Eva gives her sons a knowing look of sorrow. I know what it is. And Eva tells you all the story of how she met your father. It takes about nine seasons with a lot of fake-outs. <laughs> he really <laughs> wanted those cigarettes. Uh, Eva used to be a devoted member of the cult of Dagon. She rose within, within its ranks and did some truly horrible things. One day, she met a new initiate named Cole and Acra. Uh, she didn't know at the time, but Cole had infiltrated the cult with the intention of finding and destroying an evil artifact possessed by the cult. During his time infiltrating, he and Eva grew close. So close, Cole accidentally slipped up, and Eva discovered his true nature and intentions. Instead of turning him in, though, Eva had been softened by Cole and decided to help him escape with the artifact. It would take Cole over a year after this to learn how to destroy the artifact, during which time the two fell in love, and Eva forsook altogether the teachings of Dagon. Even after learning the method of destruction, it would be several years again until they had accomplished this goal. In addition to the complicated task regarding the artifact's destruction, there was an additional caveat the two learned of. The destroyer's soul would forever be marked by the taint of Dagon, dooming them to an eternity in the abyss after death. It hadn't occurred to Eva until this moment just how permanent this punishment was. So, unfortunately, Scram, the expensive diamond used, as well as the spell itself, are wasted in your attempt to bring Cole back from the dead. But we all know Scram doesn't give up so easily. For the remainder of the celebrations in Port Peril, Scram shuts himself away, either in the Mystic's Redoubt or within the parlor beneath Fort Hazard, both containing vast amounts of information. Scram, though you don't find anything conclusive by the end of the week, you've pieced together the following. The artifact Cole destroyed was directly related to Dagon. You know that the curse that transformed your hands is also tied to Dagon's influence over you upon death. Cole's soul is not around for you to run different experiments on, but you think that if you can find something that can undo the transformation to your own flesh, then maybe, just maybe, it can point you in the direction of freeing Cole's soul from the abyss. Even with all the knowledge contained in the Mystic's Redoubt in the Hurricane King's hidden parlor, you don't find anything that would work. At least nothing directly. In Devoth's parlor, you do manage to find a more comprehensive breakdown of the Deep Platinum Stones. The magic unlocked by combining all of them is still a mystery to you, but the material the stones themselves are made of contain potent properties capable of removing curses. 
So it's the final night of the week-long party, and Scram is in Devoth's parlor. With no better course of action, Scram casts Limited Wish, using the deep platinum stones as magical focuses, which he probably stole from Devoth while he was drunk. Uh, <laughs> wishing to be freed from Dagon's cursed influence. Upon casting the spell, the claw in which Scram is holding the stones bubbles and contorts, and suddenly he's looking at the hand he was born with, free of any grisly features. Out of sheer surprise that it worked so easily, Scram drops the stones and his hand immediately turns back into the deformed claw he had only a moment ago. Scram picks the stones back up and his normal hand reappears. It appears that only with physical contact is the magic potent enough to work, and even then, after only a minute or so, touching the stones no longer shows any results. It was a temporary fix, and an inferior one at that. It's clear to Scram that he's onto something, but there's a missing piece yet to be found. A missing piece may be more literal than initially thought, though. Scram looks down at the six pieces of deep platinum stones, which he knows to be missing a seventh piece, which is said to complete the set and unlock incredible powers. An idea forms in Scram's eyes, and his gaze turns to the atlas of the lost continent of Asland, which lies opened on the table next to him, and indicates a location of note with an illustration of a completed and fully functioning deep platinum crown. Scram's shoulders rise and fall with a deep breath. I'm coming for you, Dad. All right. Uh, any Anything else anybody wants to do? So... Graham probably rolls up to Devoth, and he's like, uh, well, Devoth, um, this is, uh, this has been amazing, um, and I will always be around, but I do, <laughs> well. But not right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, Scrim's probably gonna take up teleportation and a, a couple other things to maintain contact, but, um, sure. it, I, uh. I want to know, uh, maybe there's some potential here. Would you want to go on one last mission with me? Scram, you know I've been <laughs> up for just about anything here. You're going <laughs> to abandon him just like his dad. <laughs> <laughs> Scram, this past year you have been the best companion I could have asked for. You have been steadfast, you've been loyal, with a couple hiccups. <laughs> but... You would probably be aware by now that this whole time I've really just been looking for somewhere to call my own and not have to worry about watching my back for a little while. And, I mean, as the king, I'm going to have to watch my back a little, but I don't have a threat looming over my head for the first time in a long time. And I've kind of got some responsibility here, something that the last guy took for granted. As much as I would love to go on an adventure with you, like, I think I need to stay here and see this through. I wish you all the best luck. I, uh, you know, Devoth, I'm okay with that. Um, and, uh, just so you know, I'm gonna take Autumn and a couple of other of our sailors, and, uh, I'll bring them back to you probably next year where we're all dead. Anyone who wants to go with you is free to. You go with my blessing. Oh, uh, thank you, Devoth. Uh, so... Assuming Scram goes and has a similar conversation with uh, the other PCs, is there anybody that would take him up on that? Owlbear, Fuck Ivan, no. or Joe? <laughs> Not uh, fully, but kind of, sort of. I would at Scram, would you mind giving me a ride to the Master of Gales? Uh, yeah. 
uh, that's on the way. I mean, you're uh, going to another continent. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's few few directions you can go that aren't technically on the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can. Uh, I can drop you off there. That's fine. Um, well, then I will tag along to to there. Very well. Um, mind if I ask you uh, what for? Uh, remember when we had the emergency meeting? God, a couple weeks ago now. And oh, the pirate council meeting. Yep, the last official meeting for Bone Fist. Um, before it started, I had a quick conversation with the master of Gales, and I think he might be able to help me figure out where my grandfather went. Apparently, they were. Uh, maybe not close, but mutually respected each other. Sounds like a long, complicated backstory, and you could tell me on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, if only we had six <laughs> books to explain it and dive into it. <laughs> and then uh, I uh, I ask Albert as well, um, and maybe along the way, way, maybe I could restore some of his memory through my memories. Um, I appreciate the offer, Scram, but I don't need my old memories. I'm just ready to make new ones now, and it seems like Devoth might need protecting as the new Hurricane King. (laughs) So I'm going to stay with him, but I wish you the best of luck. I commend you, Owlbear. Just know, if he offers you an island, turn and run. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand, but okay. Just trust me. One day those words will make sense to you. All right. All right. So uh, Scram takes off the next day on Autumn with Ivan, Chase, Eva, and Peppery. And uh, takes him a couple days uh, and he reaches Tempest K. He drops Ivan off at uh, Tempest K. And uh, from there, heads west. And uh, like a day later, he's got nothing but open ocean before him and limitless horizons. Meanwhile, back at Port Peril, I just imagine it's like the end of this long stretch of partying and like just judicial work that Devoth needs to go through as a new Hurricane King. And uh, when, once things finally settle down, uh, Devoth and the crew can fi- finally has an opportunity to stretch their sea legs again. Uh, they're back in the dimly lit sea caves beneath Fort Hazard as the crew readies the ship. The treasure trove of knowledge in the lounge down here has given you dozens of new horizons to aim at, though maybe keeping your sights a little closer to home than uh, than Scram's grand adventure. Uh, and with Cheryl and Owlbear at your side, Devoth activates the hurricane crown to open up the cliffs hiding the sea caves, and a crew member approaches Devoth with a salute. All preparations are ready, Captain. Where are we heading? And as the cliffs open, we cut to an Avengers-style group shot of the PCs, all facing the widening gap, which lets in warm light from the rising sun, fully showcasing the three of you uh, like a spotlight in the dark caves. And we cut. End of book six. And before we cut, Cheryl, staring off into the distance, with a single tear rolling down his eye, says, Leon, I know you're out there. Ooh. I'm coming for you. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. So thank you so much for listening to our playthrough. I can't believe we actually made it to the end of this thing. 
Yeah, right? To everyone who listened along with us, you're all fucking rock stars. I want to take this time, though, to thank specifically our amazing patrons. And please forgive me if I get some of these names wrong. Uh, Dylan Calvo, Tom Fuller, Yair Goldberg, Ginto Gorchuk, William Kitts Van Hanigan, Mickey McCumber, Nick Putney, Brian and Leah Richter, Nathaniel Saldivar, Skysom, Sick Twist Monkey, and Mark Wiggins. You guys are the bee's knees. Yeah, those guys all freaking rule. Our Discord is the greatest, and this was the fucking bombest shit. I'm so glad I was a part of this. Like, I love you guys all so much. But everyone shut the fuck up for a second, because we have a mid-credits scene. Oh. We got to establish the cinematic universe, guys. The scene opens on a cemetery. Beyond the wrought iron fence, we see a quaint town from which the faint ringing of a smith's hammer can be heard. Two figures can be seen walking between headstones in the cemetery. From the way they're moving, it's clear they're scrutinizing the headstones as they move, perhaps looking for a specific name. As their path brings them closer to us, we can see one of the figures is a female half-orc. Her fiery red hair makes it easy to recognize her, even from a distance. Svanhild. She's watching the headstones with a morose look while casually resting a hand on the hilt of her sheathed sword. The other figure's face is hidden under a cloak. The two sinister-looking characters look quite out of place in this well-kept cemetery, bordering the inviting little village on such a cheerfully sunny day. Now much closer their conversation can be heard. Svanhild speaks. All of these graves. What a waste. Why do humans insist on such reverence for mere mediocrity? The cloaked figure steals a glance at Svanhild before returning its focus on the headstones. Perhaps you should not speak of reverence so, while yours is so misplaced. Svanhild grimaces at the comment. While clearly insulted, her reaction speaks of someone who has heard it repeated often. She continues toward us, head turned toward the row of graves to her left. I didn't pay for your wisdom. I paid for your magic. And you will get it. I've found it. Svanhild, now within spitting distance of us, stops and turns to the cloaked figure, several paces back, and sees him stooped over a headstone, reading text that we cannot see. Svanhild reads the writing as well. Instead of excited, though, she seems to grow more upset. I thought you'd be happy. She takes a centering breath. I just hope it works. Hey! A man strides into view, walking right up to Svanhild and her companion. They both turn to him. What are you- He takes a step back. After getting a good look at Svanhild, anger coloring his face. I remember you. How dare you come back- With a better angle than we've been given, the man gets a look inside the other man's cloak and takes several more steps back, reeling in horror. Ah! Oh! Svanhild watches with uncharacteristically uninterested eyes as the man stammers and panics at the presence of herself and her companion. Finally, he finds his voice again. Leave. J- just leave us in peace. Please. Why have you returned? What more do you want? Ugh! Svanhild draws her sword and steps up to the man and runs it through him. The man continues to stammer as he coughs up blood and collapses onto the ground. What do you, what do you want? The man stops moving, and we pan up from him to Svanhild's face, and we see a startling, almost manic level of sorrow. To fix my mistake, 
and prove my devotion. She turns back to the grave, and the shot cuts to a full view of the headstone. Lita Taylor, celebrated seamstress and beloved mother. The blade of a shovel plunges into the earth at the base of the gravestone, and the scene ends. Spooky. What was that? I think she's trying to bring DeVos' mom back. Holy fuck. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm, indeed. (laughs) Oh my god. What? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are we coming back to this? Well, nothing's nothing's (laughs) (laughs) nothing's impossible. That's the beauty of this game. Like we're moving on to greener pastures, and we may never, whether uh, during a recording or just in our free time, we may never revisit the shackles. But my personal philosophy is. There are always new adventures, whether it's Scrams, Far Off Adventure, or something else that happens closer to home. New shit is going to constantly happening happen, especially in the turbulent waters of the shackles. Now, everyone shut the fuck up because we have an end credit scene. Nice. Oh God, I feel like we earned it. Too you know? much. <laughs> so much. Three years later, seagulls caw as they soar beneath a beautiful blue sky riding the warm thermals above Quent's picturesque harbor. It's a great day to be outside, and as the camera winds its way up the boardwalk, we weave through passers-by. Finally, the camera floats gently through the open window of a large villa, and we're in the study of Tessa Fairwind. Tessa sits at her lacquered desk, head in hands, with a corncob pipe smoldering between two fingers. An assistant stands next to her, taking notes as she speaks. And tell Devoth that... Even though Captain Cork is a pirate lord now, he needs to stop sneaking into other cities and taking shit. I know we're all pirates, but he needs to find his treasure somewhere else. She's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And at this point, you notice that much of the walls in Tessa's study are covered in what look like charts and graphs. You have a good view of a nearby chart that shows what looks like a monthly breakdown of earthquakes. The chart shows a steady increase in size and frequency over the last six months. Several adjacent charts show similar data, but for Lilywhite, Bogsbridge, and Rapier Bay, other settlements on the coast of Motaku Island. The data on these reports show the same frequency, but report smaller quakes. At that point, a large flock of birds can be seen through an open window, soaring over the city. Not seagulls, though. These are tropical birds from inland, flying out to sea. Tessa pauses, watching the birds with suspicion. Has the quake data I asked from Bag Island come through yet? Yes, ma'am. We surveyed Beachcomber and Slipcove. They haven't felt any quakes. Tessa places her pipe on her desk and turns to her assistant. They haven't felt any quakes? Her assistant shakes her head with a worrisome frown. Tessa turns her head back to the chart of earthquake data, then back to her assistant. Bag Island. The one just across the channel. You're telling me they haven't felt any quakes. Boggs Bridge, on this island, is farther away than Slip Cove. Boggs Bridge has felt quakes. You're telling me Slip Cove hasn't felt any quakes. Her assistant, avoiding her lady's glare, nods a feeble affirmative. Yes, ma'am, I'm afraid so. Tessa looks dumbstruck. How is that possible? A distant crash and a scream calls through the open window. Tessa, now fully concerned, runs to the window to see the source of the noise. 
For a moment, she looks confused, as if she can't quite understand what she's looking at. Then, with more violence than a ship on the roughest seas, the room heaves. The very ground on which Tessa stood is thrown from our view as a terrible sound, like a stampede of enormous elephants, blocks out all noise. For the moment, you can't see anything. Then we, the camera cuts outside, where the clean, orderly streets from just a few minutes ago are now crumbling, split level, and covered in death. As toppled buildings, fallen rocks, and the ensuing chaos has killed many pedestrians, those who remain scramble to safety, though where that safety may be remains unknown. The terrible stampeding sound dies down somewhat, and the screams of a terrorized city climbs over the din. Then the ground begins to shift again, and forms a steep slope down which dead bodies and survivors alike tumble. A new sound builds and quickly grows above the screams. It's like static or thunder, and just as it grows so loud as to block out all else, a wall of water comes barreling into view, carrying wagons, chunks of buildings, and more death. The water blocks out all sight, and we cut again, now the bird's-eye view of Quent. And as you watch, nearly the entire city breaks apart and begins sinking below the sea. Only the southernmost fringes of the city remain attached to solid ground. The massive displacement has created treacherous waters in the northern bay, and nearly every ship moored in what used to be Quent's beautiful harbor is capsized. The ships at the docks fare even worse, getting pulled under with the city or torn apart in the chaos. Then, somehow, it's over. The disaster ends as quick as it started. No land remains where Quent once stood. We zoom in on the wreckage over what used to be the middle of the city where the surface is thick with flotsam and dead bodies. Some survivors still remain bobbing among the destruction, crying out for help or shouting the names of loved ones. A new survivor emerges from the lair of destruction with a gasp. As we finish zooming, you can see that it's Tessa Fairwind. She grabs onto a shredded rooftop and climbs out of the water, even as the rooftop begins to slowly sink. Gasping for air, she trembles on her hands and knees while looking around at the remains of her city in disbelief. As Tessa stares dumbfounded, a new scream can be heard, closer than the ambient wails. A young woman is flailing in the water near Tessa's sinking rooftop, her assistant. Blood clouds the water around her, and she's moving as if struggling with a severe injury. Help! Please! Tessa crawls back to the edge of her safety and frantically beckons her over. Take my hand! The assistant struggles her way through the debris-infested water towards Tessa, straining to keep her head above the surface. Tessa stretches her arm out as she gets close, when the water suddenly lights up through the cracks in the flotsam. Her assistant stops swimming as her entire body jerks uncontrollably, and she sinks below the water, motionless. Tessa scrambles back away from the water as jagged arcs of electricity suddenly fire out of the sea. The rooftop is more than halfway sunk now, and Tessa looks around desperately for safety, but all she can see is death. The roof is suddenly knocked by something underwater, and Tessa is nearly thrown off as the water's surface seems to bulge upward for a moment. Then, not twenty feet from her, it breaks the surface. A single, enormous, blood-red dorsal fin. Nearly the height of a ship's mast. 
shedding lightning into the air around it. It rises up out of the water like the silent hand of death before sinking back below the debris. And as Tessa remains trapped on her sinking sanctuary, gazing in horror at the spot where the fin had vanished, the water emits one final spark of energy, and the scene cuts to a close-up of a face, wrinkled, leathery, and sporting an impressive white beard. Bjorn, Ivan's grandfather. As if waking from a trance, his eyes snap open. It's time. And the scene ends. Scram, you <laughs> fucked it up! Oh, no! I knew it. <laughs> oh, no! Scram did it. Murdered everyone. <laughs> My grandpappy's gonna be so Scram. mad at you. Scram's kill <laughs> count is town so Scram-ed. high. <laughs> I can't think of a better note to leave our two and a half long campaign on than that. Maybe yeah. someday, somehow, we'll revisit the, ki- the shackles and who knows what'll happen. Maybe not. I don't know. But we'll always have these cliffhangers to remember fondly. <laughs> and, and so many memories along the way, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. Did the Mascador crew make it out, like, okay? Or oh, yeah. That- uh, yeah, no, they... they but, but, uh, with the Mascador, the internship, and the Semidurogue, uh, they were all able to fight off the boggards, but yeah, so they just kind of they kind of fought off the boggards until Devoth sailed out to uh, end the fight. Uh, to end the fight, and uh, yeah, uh, so everybody there they made it out, especially Lemon. <laughs> especially Lemon. Uh-huh. No, I heard he died. It's such a shame. <laughs> Squeezed the life right out of him. <laughs> Squeezed. Andrew, Tom, yeah. Matt, Nick, Joe. This has been an incredible journey, and I can't wait to start the next one. But until then, see ya. Oh, nice. Uh, See ya. See ya. So nice. See ya. See ya. So if you go back to the episode where Scram talked to Gargolavo in his dreams, yeah. Scram yeah. rolled sense motive yeah. on Gargolavo. <laughs> I was, there was never any, like, Gargolavo was lying. He was like, I'm not a bad guy. Everything's on the up and up. And I was expecting Tom to just be like, obviously he's the villain. <laughs> no sense motive required. And I was just going to be like, this is just another, because as soon as I, as soon as, you guys had Gargolavo's egg. It was the fucking Chekhov's gun of the of the campaign. <laughs> yeah. And my goal, I, I had no end game with that. My goal was to just fucking get rid of it. I was expecting you guys to just throw it overboard. A big shark would appear. You guys would be like, holy shit, it's swim away for a while and then come back later when you guys were strong enough to not get killed by it. But you guys kept holding on to it, going, here's our nuclear deterrent. 
We're going to use it someday, maybe. And so I was just like, I don't really have any goal with this. I'm just going to keep like poking the beehive every once in a while. Like, so first, Afram start, tries to steal the egg. Scram's assistant. Scram catches him, says no more. And everybody's like, oh, this thing's kind of dangerous. Maybe we should do something about it. I'm like, yeah, maybe you should. Just get rid of it. You guys were like, let's just keep it in the captain's quarters. Nothing will happen. And I was like, all right, well, hey, when they go to Port Peril, uh, some like it's gonna get taken. It's gonna get quarantined, and Devos got to go through fucking hell on earth to get it back. And then they'll, they'll be like, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't just keep this under Devos's mattress. Let's just get rid of it." But no, it's just <laughs> back under the mattress it went. <laughs> so I was like, "Hmm, all right. Well, maybe it talks to somebody again. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Scram." And then they'll be like, "Hey, this thing's trying to influence us, the officers. Maybe we should get rid of it." But Scram was like, between sessions, Scram's like, I want to get, I want to release Gargalava. Uh, because instead of just being like, yeah, this guy's obviously a villain. Let's get rid of it. He was like, I'm going to roll sense motive. And if you go back to that episode, he got like an eight or something. Yeah, some- and I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure Gargalava has nothing in bluff. So it's yeah. not like whatever. Let's just see what happens. And I got like a seventeen on the die or something like that. So I was like, <laughs> uh, "Scram! You believe him? He's pr- he's just a misunderstood creature." And so Scram was like, "I want to release Gargolavo. And I was like, "Okay." So like, <laughs> I was like, ever since that point, I was like, "Where can I put Gargolavo in the story? Where could like where can he be like a villain?" Uh, and I just nowhere really felt right until I finally I was like, you know what? We'll just put him in post. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. He'll be the Thanos of this Avengers uh, campaign. But yeah, so <laughs> I, <laughs> so I was like, I think he's just gonna fucking nuke Quent or something, and Devoth is gonna have to go to Aslan and drag Scram back to the shackles so he can clean up his mess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! So that's that's the rant that I've been holding in for the last like twelve months. That's amazing. Oh, that's oh fantastic! And we really we did exactly that too. Like none of what you said was wrong or like misconstrued. <laughs> yeah. We were like, we got to hold this nuclear football for as long as possible. <laughs> Should we keep it safe and, and somehow? Then... Oh, just throw it under the mattress. What could happen? <laughs> yeah, for real. Don't worry, we'll lock the door. Yeah. Oh man! And then scram like just going behind everyone's back. To just, uh, destroy uh, Quent. Yeah, <laughs> destroy Quent. Yeah, seriously. Oh, All right. Leon did well, I can't Cheryl's think. Heart. 